You're listening to Two Beers Until Phrenesis, a podcast where we discuss the ideas of philosophy, ethics, religion, history, and culture. Alongside regular guests and friends, we discuss some of life's big questions over a few beers. Enjoy. Right then, today we're talking about Fairland of Beauty, Herefordshire, uh, where we both come from. You still live there, don't you, Zach? Yeah. You make cider there, so that's good. Yeah, and uh, we're both dabbling in some some now. Yeah, what is this? Fucking... It's a it's a scrumpy. It's a dry one. Seven point five percent. But Zach, alcohol. isn't scrumpy made in the West Country usually or something? Well, scrumpy is quite a loose definition. So scrumpy is normally associated with uh, well cloudy ciders, which it normally is. But normally, it can be sometimes quite a derogatory term for just a cider base that is made from windfall apples only. But none of these things have to be the case. Normally it's quite dry as well, quite sharp. You can just fucking call it whatever. Yeah. Basically, it's really strong and it's cloudy. And I guess Herefordshire technically not being in the West Country, more of a a West Midlands jurisdiction that you could say it's not really a scrumpy. Well, that's one of the first things I want to say about Herefordshire in general. Nobody knows what the fuck it is. And everyone no. associates the accent with the West Country, with Somerset, uh, or, yeah. or maybe maybe Bristol or something. It's kind of dwarfed by Wales. Yeah. And most people don't really know particular places in Wales anyway. So they basically just go, oh, Herefordshire. My phone autocorrects it to Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire yeah. yeah. <laughs> this this is, uh, for, for any Herefordians out there, this is a bit of a common pet peeve that we have being yeah. associated with somewhere very close to London, because, of course, London is the centre of the universe and it's where time began, and therefore it could possibly be another setting. Too right, mate. But yeah, I went to university in Gloucestershire, which is the next county over. I'd say, I'm from Herefordshire. They'd be like, oh, don't, aren't you from, like, the West Country with that accent? I'm like, no, I'm from around here. Like, I'm literally just, like, 40 minutes down the road. I'm your local Connor. <laughs> and they'd be like, where's Herefordshire? I've never heard of it. It's like, yep, okay, fine. You've been here for three years. How, how do you not know the next county next to us? Yeah. It's a, th- it's a what, 30-minute drive just to get into the border from here. It's just, it's just one of the counties, mate. It's it's one of the oldest as well. Yeah, it, Herefordshire is really fucking tiny. Heref- yeah, Hereford's the largest settlement and that's got a population of 56,000. How many people live in Herefordshire in total? You Google it's this. The, um, it's 100 and, according to the last census, maybe a few years ago, 190,000 about. So a good quarter of the population just live in in Hereford. Yeah. City well, itself. you got you got like Ross and Lempstone. you got places like Wormlow. So what's yeah, that? Like, very obscure places out towards the west. Four people living in like a, a thatched cottage. Wow. Uh, we're allowed to say all this because we live there. Well, Kazak does, and I lived there for twenty years. Yeah, we're, we're we're allowed to. We're more than qualified to satirize the the life. But um, yeah, it's a very not only small and sparsely populated county, but yeah, it's it's very very obscure. And um, I think it's yeah, it's Herefordshire and Shropshire that are two of the most sparsely populated counties in the country. And, and Shropshire is just above Herefordshire, so... Fourth smallest county mm. in Britain, which is quite ridiculous, really. Yeah. yeah, no wonder nobody's heard of it. And it's basically just famous for agriculture and, like, natural beauty. There's there's no... <laughs> there's no civilization there. No. No, there is, there is a lot of good stuff happening in Herefordshire, but it, a large part of that centres around 
the sort of agricultural economy that's there. The cider, you've got the the Hereford cattle, which is the, yeah. the breed of cattle with the, the bull, which is the symbol for the, the Hereford football team. It's one of the main producers of cider. So I think you, you said something about this quite a while ago, that it was like one of the main places making cider yeah, and, in and the and world, basically. And again, kind of like with comparisons to Somerset, a lot of people see West, West Country counties in Somerset as the biggest cider making county but it is in fact Herefordshire you know about 60% of all cider comes from this county and uh, not not credited not so, a lot of dessert apples though but yeah they're mainly all for uh, quite a few of the big conglomerates and independent makers so that's like Bulmers Strongbow Stofords Stofords being Westerns yeah there's Strongbow and Bulmers different Bulmers products? make Strongbow yeah I thought that was the case yeah and Bulmers are now Heineken owns today yeah, there's loads of smaller ones as well, and independents. There's hundreds across the country, let alone the county of cider makers. Yeah, because Westerns make loads of different things as well. And everyone's like, oh, it's a totally different drink. It's like, well, yeah, but it's made. It's all made under the umbrella of Westerns. Yeah. GL's my favourite. GL. Yeah. Oh, GL. I've got some bad news for you, Connor. As of two summers ago, GL had the plug pulled on it. Oh, no. Just the, the problem was people were only drinking it for about a month of the year during the steam rallies. And so uh, yeah. they went, no, not commercially viable enough. So for the remaining 11 months, yeah, it wasn't enough to justify the, the sales. You actually don't get cider on tap basically out of, out of the three counties very often. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, you, you might have like your Strongbow or whatever. Yeah. Like Magnus. They'll give you one. They normally give you one option anywhere else kind of east towards London, you know, as far north as the sort of tip of the western East Midlands. But beyond that, you're lucky to see any cider. Yeah, well, you see north. it in the bottles and you'll see it. As, it's a summer drink. It's fruity. Yeah. But like here, it's they'll drink it in the winter. Put the in your chest. You know, yeah. Um, old Rosie. You know, that goes down nice in the, in the winter. Very much seen as a seasonal drink still. Of course, it's due to the nature of when the cider is ready from the, from the last harvest. So inevitably, when, it, when summer comes, that's when people crack open a few bottles or have a pint or two. But no, it's, it's a drink you can make all year round. You can store it and ferment it, mature it in oak, blend it if you want. And there's a lot of mulled cider options for the winter as well. Of course, normally people associate them with the, the even a lot of the cider drinkers and the connoisseurs go back to their ales for, you know, the winter ales, but you can have a mulled cider then as well. It, it yeah. can very much be a... Basically, 12 month. People should drink more cider. Yeah, definitely, man. Have you heard of this ancient law that everybody mentions when they're talking about Herefordshire? It's like, it's legal to kill a Welshman in a oh, churchyard well, at, at 12 noon on a certain day. Thing is, there's a, there's a similar one and it, it's all absolute bobbins, really. Yeah, there was it, just a loophole about 500 years ago that wasn't amended that will not get looked at lightly in high court anyway. I'm sceptical that it existed in the first place. But the original formulation that I found, well, actually I found fucking loads because the internet, but the, the one that I'm familiar with is it's legal to kill a Welshman in Hereford, but only in the cathedral. With a longbow between the hours of 11 and 2 in the morning or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's on a Sunday. Okay. Um, But it has to be from 12 yards Right. No, uh, no more, no less, or uh, exactly twelve yards. I think there's there's a variance of like twelve paces from high noon. Yeah, it's like it's rounded to the nearest yard, and it has to be within the twelve or something. But 
yeah, there's loads of variations. Yeah. I think it has to do, obviously, this, like, Herefordshire used to be part of a Welsh kingdom, so mm. uh, kind of that's why a lot of the places have Welsh-sounding names and why a lot of the places over yeah. the border into Wales have English-sounding names. It's because there's always been that push and pull and a lot of conflict in the area, and it's like, well, that's why there's fuckloads of castles and cool, like, old things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just a hangover from racial tensions between be. between Wales and... I mean, with the name Hereford, it's it's got one or two origins. Of course, both of these are disputed. It could be said to be from the Welsh Henford, or it could be from the Saxon Harry and then Ford. So Harry would be Army Ford. It literally would translate into Army Ford. Yeah. So of course, they will probably get into the military things in a bit. There's a huge presence there today. But I've heard similar comparisons with the whole sort of, you know, loopholes in that law with, I think it's a, Scot- it's a Scotsman in York as yeah, well. Yeah, I've heard loads. So but because of this, it's, it's, it's probably not going to be both. It's going to be one or the other. So it probably just sounds like a bad game of, of whispers, really. Yeah, I mean, the important thing to remember is it's all bollocks and totally useless information. Yeah. Which is basically... You can't do anything with it. Yeah, that's basically you, all you, we're going to be talking about. You get slammed up for years if you try it anyway. <laughs> just sort of sheer morbid curiosity. Speaking of useless bollocks, have you uh, you heard of the the Bolin bear? No, I don't know. It's um, it's kind of like a supernatural cryptid. It's a, mm. it's the ghost of a bear that right. from Ruidine. It's actually it's the, it's the bear. Oh god! And now he haunts the road. I don't know why he's moved, but he's decided to get up and move to <laughs> to uh, Coton. A lot of people pronounce Coton as Cofton. That's not that's not true. Yeah, I think my, definitely Coton. Uh, a lot of my family grew up. Coton. There's like 12 houses there. But yeah, a lot of people have seen the ghost of the bear. I don't know how they know it's a ghost of a bear. I don't know. If, is it like... Could you see, see it's it? probably more like to be a bear than yeah. actually being a ghost of a bear. As unlikely well, yeah, as even one, that is. One's possible. The other one's impossible. It's just like... <laughs> and, and what, what was it? See-through? Like, was, is it like floating? A floating bear? That's the, why not just say it's a floating bear, not a ghost? Yeah, so... it ghost of a bear. Yeah. And it and it... Apparently it escaped the... Oh, if you want to hear about what this is, because I don't want to go into detail here, the, the bear of Ruidine, um, listen to our Forest of Dean episode and, and please, please be sympathetic. And please don't pay any attention to anything that's said in that episode at all. Especially by Sam. <laughs> I think Sam's tightening the knees there, but uh, I think the rest of us would be very respectful to local traditions. Yeah. The most interesting fact potentially, and the one that always gets told within like 10 seconds of anyone mentioning Herefordshire and its history is the fact that it was basically the first tourist destination in mm, the UK. Yeah. Do you know about this? It's, it's uh, well, specifically, I guess, Ross on Wye. Apparently it's the, the birthplace of English tourism. Mm. I can't remember who said that it's or quite a bold, when. But... Quite a bold claim. But basically, mm. before then, you didn't really have the, like, the modern concept of the holiday or like tourist destinations you basically just had the lord or the king would visit a certain place yeah. to do some business or maybe as like a type of vacation but the industry as such didn't exist and it pretty much started i think there's a very solid argument to be made um in 1745 the rector okay. dr john egerton basically talking to his friends and going on boat trips up and down the y valley because he lived in the rectory in ross and he was basically like, 
it's a really good place. Like it's really picturesque. Um, and he basically describes the landscapes, castles, abbeys, and he says it's uh, accessible to seekers of the picturesque. And in 1782, uh, William Gilpin's book, Observations on the River Wye, was published. And that's the first illustrated tour guide to be published in Britain. I think you can see a couple of copies in the Ross Market House, right. uh, as well as the unexploded World War II bomb that was dropped. It's one of the only bombs dropped in Ross. Christ, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, on the stairs on the way up. I think it's still there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Do you know where it originally landed in Ross at all? Or... I think it was a field somewhere, but I don't know which field or what side of Ross. But... They're going after our corn. <laughs> <laughs> going after our fucking cider. Yeah. Oh, there we go. It landed in the Chase Hotel grounds in 1940. But yeah, um, by by 1808, there were like eight boats making regular excursions down the down the Y just because of this one book by uh, William Gilpin. Yeah. Most of them were just hired by inns in Ross and Monmouth. And then by 1850, you had 20 more visitors published their own accounts of this Y Valley tour. And that's basically how the modern tourist industry got started. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I mean, I mean, you probably make a few cases for other places, but the Y Valley is literally just one of the most beautiful places in the UK. I mean, shit, you see things like big pictures of like Sweden or Thailand. You're like, okay, that's that's pretty cool. Mm. But and, and of course, Scotland is is amazing. But I honestly think the Y Valley is just one of the best places in the world. Yeah. Um, once you know all the little the woodlands and the rivers and exactly where to go and make the best of it, I think it's it's fucking gorgeous. It's really nice for rowing walking, just enjoying rural countryside. I guess when you are one of the locals, it's, it can be kind of underappreciated quite a bit. Yeah. I take it for granted growing really close by to the, about a mile away from the Simmons area. Yeah. Wow, well, because I suppose, yeah, it's an old cliche that I took it for granted, but to go and visit occasionally, but probably didn't make the most of it being on my back door the same time. So yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. The, um, YouTube episode. We normally have like videos playing in the background, so I'll I'll put the video I took of the Y Valley. I got a couple of videos of that, and there's Yat Rock, and most people see Yat Rock from on top of Yat Rock. Yeah, and I look down, and there's that um, famous kind of touristy picture of the river meandering uh, below. Most people don't realize you can actually go down to that field. Mm. If you uh, go from Coppet Hill, Coppet Hill's really nice as well. It's got some old ruins on the top and you get to it from Goodrich. So you can go through the woodland there. It's, it's um, a few miles and you can make your way down to the bottom yeah. and look up. And I think the, the view up is better than the view down because you see the peregrine falcons in the in, mm. yeah, in the in the cliffs. Yeah, You can hear them screeching and like hunting and, and it's so serene because nobody knows about this place. Uh, and nobody, nobody still will because there's only be about thirty people that listen to this. So, <laughs> but I, way more people visit it every year, I guess. So yeah, well. yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if people are taking more interest in uh, natural spaces. I think some of them are actually in decline. I think a lot of people are using natural spaces more to like, uh, like mountain biking, or whatever. But yeah. in terms of just going to a place for its for its intrinsic beauty, I think a lot of people aren't that bothered anymore. They'd rather be doing other things. Or they, yeah. you know, they want to go fucking skydiving or something. I don't think people really care about rambling or walking as much as they used to. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to look at, let's maybe say, footfall statistics, which is always hard because you can never consider everyone in a kind of single place. So you could you could accumulate the footfall in all the pubs in the local area, then how many people actually came through uh, to the viewpoints. You'd assume that 
half of them would be physically staying in the area. So I guess it'd be quite hard to compile. But you still see a lot of international tourists visiting the area. But uh, normally the main pool that I used to see down camping on the resorts normally would be yeah, a kind of a regional aspect. So a lot of people from Birmingham and a lot of people from South Wales, all within a kind of an hour and a bit's drive, if they didn't want to go to the beach, for example. Mm. Internal holiday in the UK. Which more people should do. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need, you don't, it doesn't need to cost an arm and a leg to go somewhere. Sure, sometimes people want to reinvent themselves or discover themselves and, and everything. And we've all had big excursions before, but uh, particularly during everything going on in the world this year, if you if you want a break, I don't work for tourism board at all, but... You should. <laughs> be a good sell. Drinking on the job, holding a scrumpy. There are local pleasures and delights. Well, one of them is Offers Dyke. Offers does, does, does that go through Herefordshire or not? I can't... I've never actually been... It goes, it goes... Yeah, it does. It's the whole border with Wales and England. It, so yeah. I think it would go through Herefordshire. It's the pathway, so it's right on the western side of Herefordshire. So mentioned that Shropshire is attached to Hereford on the on the northern side. Then on the west, you have the broken bits of what used to be old Radnorshire and Brecknockshire for sort of Brecon. But now it's uh, Powys today, which is a really, really big area. Yeah. And the Office Dyke path runs through the Black Mountains across there. And it's... Basically, if anyone who doesn't know what a dyke is, it's not uh, a woman in a leather jacket. No. It's, uh, it's, it's much more politically uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, more, more than that. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's basically like a um, bit of earthwork. This particular one runs through the entire border uh, of England and Wales. I think it's actually one of the most impressive landmarks in British history. It's made in the by the Mercians, basically. It's what, named after Offa, who was a king of Mercia, yeah. which was just like a, a tiny kingdom in the uh, middle of England back in the day. You know, we're talking well over 100 miles long, 65 feet wide, 8 feet tall, in a fractured post-Roman Britain. It's impressive for the early Middle Ages. Even if it was maybe started before in the Roman period, it was definitely worked on a lot by the Mercians. Yeah. Which why we fall under the the jurisdiction of the West Mercia police in the yeah. area as well, still today. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it could hold a candle to anything like Hadrian's Wall, but then again, did it need to be? Yeah, I think for the time it was made, you know, these were tiny kingdoms that had like basically no resources or anything. They were just Christian kingdoms that formed in the power vacuum in the wake of the, the Romans leaving. Yeah. Um, yeah, this wasn't like a big power or significant... No. Uh, people that made it. You probably had about four blokes actually yeah. making it. Four blokes just did, digging a ditch. Getting right, that'll do. Come back tomorrow. But yeah, so that's off his dike. It's a little bit of archaeological controversy about when it was actually built and what kind of border it's actually supposed to be expressing and what the actual function of it was. Yeah. But now it's more associated with the off his dike walk, which is a really nice walk, which is actually longer than the original dike itself. And the dike is a scheduled monument, which means it enjoys basically a bunch of protections. Tidy. Yeah, Peñal Castle is in Chase Woods, 
or Penyard Park, which, whichever one you want to call it. Basically, the woods next to Ross and Wine. And it's, um, don't, don't try going there because, uh, you'll get shot. Uh, there's, there's a bull in the field we used to, we used to run across when we were really little. It's either a hunting lodge or I think it was probably the geezer that lived in Goodrich Castle built it. Um, he, he died in 1324 or it's probably the gaff where a bunch of monks lived. So some, somewhere around that time, but you can tell that a lot of the extensions made on it um, were in like the 1800s. Like I think the outer wall was made then. So before okay. that, it was just basically a house. It is just basically a house and it's a ruin now, uh, especially over the last few years. Um, I saw some scaffolding on it. I did a little walk and like next to it. Um, you can see it from the road because they cleared a lot of the trees. And I think they're doing some reconstruction on it. But uh, And some of the stone was used to build a farm when it did start collapsing. Yeah, That's why it is a ruin. Um, and it's also apparently used to build a bit of Bollatry Castle. Okay. Where Richard Hammond now lives. Oh, yeah. And some of the, the, the local celebrities, believe it or not, some people do actually live in Herefordshire who have gained uh, notoriety and mainstream popularity. Oh shit, before that, I need to mention the legend of Penyon Castle. Oh, right. The Big Crow. Okay, I might have heard of this before when yeah, yeah. in detail. So basically, not only is there a load of treasure underneath Penyon Castle, apparently, and loads of, I think that's a large part of why it's a ruin and why you can't go there because it's basically just people going in there with metal detectors. Yeah. Like, trying to take apart every brick to find ye old penny. And it's basically um, supposed to be a giant set of doors underneath, like big iron doors. Yeah. Um, of course there aren't, it's a load of bollocks, but it's a funny story. And this farmer, he gets a load of superstitious talismans and he's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna try and get this cursed treasure. So he gets like a big team of oxen to uh, pull the doors open mm. and takes like loads, and it takes 40 oxen apparently. And um, eventually the doors are prized open and this big jackdaw, it's like the size of a bloke, swoops down and he's like, oh, you would be dead if it wasn't for the things you were wearing, the little talismans you, you got on earlier, like lucky lucky clover or whatever. Apparently the, this bird stays there the whole time and guards the treasure. And basically as soon as he opened the door, the door slammed again and then the crow threatened him but let him go. Yeah. And yeah, the crow talks, by the way, because that's, that's a normal thing. So yeah, that's the legend of Peñal Castle. It's probably the same bird I saw in the pub last night. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what are we talking about? Famous people. Old Hammond. Yeah, Richard the Hamster Hammond. I've I've seen him before, just walking through town. Someone I know accidentally tripped him up with their dog, but it's because he wasn't looking where he was going. That was in Ledbury, where he normally walks through Ross. Oh, shit. He was just there, kind of looking around. I don't know. The band Mark the Hoople. Yeah. My mate used to live next to the bass player. Mott the Hoople, for anyone who doesn't know, they did the song All the Young Dudes. Yeah. Well, no one's heard of them. I, I keep saying Mott the Hoople. I've, I've given up because nobody fucking knows who they are, but they're a pretty good band. I think David yeah. Bowie wrote that song for them, actually. To be honest, if I hadn't have known beforehand about the associations with Herefordshire, I probably would have heard of Mott the Hoople myself. I, I, I listen to a lot of Bad Company. Yeah, because the, the guitar player yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's, 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 it's two of them, isn't it? Is it two of Mott the Hoople are in... That yeah. was in the drama as well. I or? actually, I actually think it's the two guys that weren't in free. I think it's, I think it's the yeah. two guys that came over to form Bad Company. Yeah, of course, most people, you know, associate that with 
the super group with Paul Rogers. There yeah. were others there as well. Dennis Potter. Dennis Potter. He's just, he's just a guy. We talked about him in the Forest of the episode as well. Yeah. And uh, Frank Oz, Yoda himself. Yeah, the voice, the voice of uh, of Yoda. Apparently, he only lived in Hereford for about a year or two. He wasn't born there. He doesn't. He didn't live there in his later years. I'm assuming he's dead now. I don't know. Is he, no, is he still alive? Actually. Uh, let me let me Google. But also, who else do we have? Um, Ellie Goulding as well. She's a very big singer. She's from the Kington area, so the far northwest of the county. Frank Oz is still alive. Frank Oz is still alive. He must have been in his, well into his 70s or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like Catherine Coatson and Tolkien were really inspired by the area as well. Mm. Um, I think as well as like the Forest of Dean, it's probably one of the biggest influences on, uh, and the West Country was obviously like the big influence on places like Harbourton in the Shire. And yeah, um, I, I imagine some of the forests probably gave him the influence for like places like Fangorn and Offlorian, but probably more the Forest of Dean. Yeah. Uh, but everywhere's claiming that now. That never used to be cool because fantasy, high fantasy never used to be cool. Yeah. So everyone didn't really care. But now they're like, oh yeah, to- Tolkien. Everyone loves a bit of kind of rural escapism. Yeah. I think the Shire has to be, if not Gloucestershire, it's got to be something like Herefordshire, the Shire itself. Yeah. Well, they're very similar. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Those of short people, myself included, just fucking drinking ale. Proud feet. <laughs> oh dear. And uh, apparently Quentin Letts lives down the road from me. Who's somewhere. that? Oh, um, some... He's, I'm trying to get this right now. He's, he's either some tabloid columnist, writer, author. I think, I've got a book from him, I think. He gave you a book or you bought a book? He was a, a columnist for one of the tabloid papers, I think. No, no, I, I, I bought a book and I didn't realise it was actually... Well, I didn't realise how close he was to me, effectively. Fair enough. Shout out. And there's loads more, like Richard Ashcroft, most of the Pretenders, and Mark Labette. But I reckon all of this is overshadowed by John Curl, though. Because he's the only person oh, yes. that anyone fucking talks about, in the, like in the Ross area, particularly. The original benefactor of Ross on Y. Yeah. So he's kind of like the Jebediah Springfield, really, isn't he? Of, yeah. Uh, just like nobody can talk about anything else and all the history, despite the fact that there's there's tons of history surrounding uh, South Herefordshire. It's all about this guy. Cheers. He basically just gave a load of money to the local community and mm. pretty much everything in Ross subsequently is named after him. Yeah, loads of things. Including the school. School. The pub. Man of Ross. Man of Ross. Uh, I say loads of things. I can't actually think of a lot of things. Probably a lot of the roads and streets and things like that. Well, anything with Curl in. So Curl Street and... Uh, yeah. There's like Curl House or something as well. And this is, like, yeah, just tons of places. Like the, like the prospect was basically his gift to the town as well. So like one of the um, kind of gardeny areas uh, and, and tons of other places as well. And just things in general, all just given by him. They'll probably knock down his statues in a couple of years. Yeah, they'll 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 find they'll find something, won't they? Yeah, he didn't like Welsh people. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, he was known as the Man of Ross, even though he was born over in Gloucestershire. I uh, came from a respected, wealthy family. Grandson of the sheriff of Herefordshire and son of an MP. He had a background in law, and he just started doing bits. 
settling debates, planting trees. Yeah. And he loved walking in the fresh air. He just seems like a generally decent bloke. Uh, even Alexander Pope wrote a poem about him. You don't normally see John curl himself on, on crest, but the the animal of the emblem of the symbol of Ross and White is a hedgehog. It is, yeah. So, yeah, hedgehogs are still cool, people. But then I see those in the middle of the road, and I'm like, fuck me. Or if you're on the other side, mind a bailer coming down the hill on yonder year and swim back in. And I've got some beamer at me, chef, and I have to fend him off as well. He's just run over the hedgehog. What am I supposed to do? In no man's land. That is a moral conundrum. Speaking of animals, <laughs> have you um, heard of all the fucking escape panthers and the wolf sightings and all this? Bollocks. There's always an escape panther. Always, it's, it's always something. The big cats. And a, yeah, a lot of that comes more towards, I guess, the Forest of Dean. And you can lead that then on to Chase Woods. So I could see how that would affect yeah. the Herefordshire and well, also, the diocese. And, also comes from down from uh, Wales as well. Because Wales obviously is a big area, yeah. quite sparsely populated. So people are just like, oh, there's probably a big cat up there. And it's just this like fantastical notion of oh what if there was a big animal over here but I remember like some of the claims were actually getting quite strong at one point there was like several sightings probably reached its peak yeah um, people were actually quite nervous and I think it was the time of foot and mouth disease as well so people were even less keen to go up to the like, chase woods and those kinds of areas and um I remember my <laughs> we were walking up there and my my dad hid under a like, load of hay jumped out and I've never been so scared in my life um, so that was the big panther it was him all along apparently there's supposed to be a black dog somewhere and it has been debunked is this the black dog of Hergust yeah yeah of the of the court up again that's kind of somewhere near Kington in quite sort of west northwest in the county now apparently this was part of the inspiration for the Hand of the, the Baskervilles. And if people were to see the dog on the ground of the courts or something, that you know, it'd be that, that ominous thing. They'd be dead within a week, 24 hours or whatever. But apparently there, well, there apparently is no it, connection at all. It was just made up. You don't say. Well, it, it, it <laughs> well the, the, the connection was made up. There could be a dog. But to be honest, it says here that it dates back from 1267. So I imagine everybody was dying within a week of seeing anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah back back then, it was probably just the, the Black Death or something. The yeah. great big plague. Die from a splinter. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the dragon of Mordiford. Oh, the um, Pentelo dragon. Yeah. I can't remember how that one goes now, but... Um, is it Was it a good dragon? Was it supposed to bring you treasure and riches? Or was it supposed to bring you death again as well? Uh, well, he raised a girl and kept her safe and basically burned everyone else. Yeah. And she was the only one that could sort of calm its rage and apparently used to go around uh, burning things I don't know when this was supposed to be it's kind of like King Kong really isn't it yeah yeah but a few hundred years earlier a bit of a motif going on wait a minute it's like yeah apparently there's a portrait of it in the church of the village until 1811 so this must have been quite far back yeah um, a vicar apparently ordered the painting to be destroyed because it was a sign of the devil okay but there is a reproduction on display now which is Kind of cool that it's lasted that long, but yeah. Yeah. There's also a mermaid. Okay. 
How is there a mermaid? There's no water. Oh, I guess. It's... Oh, okay. So, so a bell from Marden Church ended up in the River Lug. Okay, and the River Lug does meet the River Wye um, at the bridge by Maud over Mordeford as well. And so they tried to retrieve the bell, but the, this mermaid was holding on to it. Yeah, and it would, and it remained in the river. And in 1848, villagers were cleaning out the pond. They discovered the bell. The bell end. <laughs> Excellent. Quite. And apparently you can see the bell in Herefordshire Museum. Okay. All right, it's also in the last one. The last fucking cryptid type story is um, Jacko Kent. Okay. Or Jack, Jack, Jack A. Kent, depending on how you want to say it. It's based around the, the Welsh marches. But to be honest, I've heard this story right up in North Wales. But it's basically the story where... Got around a bit, didn't he? Yeah. I, I think it's just one of those stories because it's about outsmarting the devil. And um, yeah. I used to be really interested in like uh, Faustian myth. They had the idea of like confronting the devil and uh, yeah. like Robert Johnson did when he learned how to play guitar, allegedly. Um, but there's always been these stories of people meeting the devil and usually outsmarting him because they were usually tales made up by Christians to show how if people had God on their side or wit on their side, they could outsmart evil things. So yeah. they were kind of like moral stories and fables. So this guy asks the devil to help him build a bridge and promises him the first soul that crosses it. And they build the bridge. But then, obviously, because he needs to get across. And yeah. So he just throws a bone over the bridge and the dog follows it. He's like, ah, oh, you've got the dog, dog's soul now, which is kind of tight on the dog, but supposedly tricking the devil out of a human soul because the, the devil's building this bridge going, oh, well, Jack's going to be the first bloke that crosses it, so he's a dickhead, right? Um, but I, I heard that at the three bridges in um, in North Wales. So yeah. Don't know, it, don't know who to believe. Because I've heard, I've heard of the devil's bridge before. I'm not sure if that is the one. Yeah, that was, yeah. That is devil's bridge. Yeah, and I think that's that's got exactly the same story attached to it. But it's all I, I I've heard that actually in a few counties, and mm. I, I don't know. There's a lot of similar themes, yeah, around the marches there. So when you go from through from Herefordshire near Offersdyke up to more again sort of Powys and up uh, further north in Wales, you got there's there's the Devil's Bridge, it's supposed to be the Devil's Grave somewhere, where if you dance on it, the Devil appears or something like that. And I've been up on on a road bike, the Devil's Staircase before. This is more towards sort of like the Cambrian Mountains. So this is pretty much all outside of Herefordshire. Very steep gradient, very short hill, but a sort of like a one in four or one in three climb. Very torturous. I'm guessing more you're you're being trialed by lactic acid burn. I think that's whether I think that's the internal devil inside your body. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of old landmarks and buildings, of course, it being quite a an old county, quite unspoiled in many ways. So you have, for instance, in Hallwithy, you've got one of the only churches in in the country that has more of a Italian style of architecture. And then somewhere further west in the county towards Garway, there should be there's a there's a there's a dovecot and it's one of the biggest dovecots in the country as well there's quite a few sort of quirky things here and there tidy and the map of Monday. oh yeah is it Hereford, forget. Herefordshire Cathedral but yeah I, I still put that on my windscreen today mate if I want to find uh, how to get the M50 <laughs> get the old map of Monday. so yeah so the map of Monday is basically a medieval map 
And it's pretty much one of the first maps of the world. Yeah. And it dates back to 1300. Uh, and it's the largest in existence. There was a large one, but it was destroyed in World War II. And you can go see it in Hereford Cathedral. You should go and see it because it's fucking cool. And it's it's really weird because it kind of depicts mythological events as well, like the Garden of Eden. And I think that speaks to that whole idea of uh, religion being about non-literal truth that we've been talking about in previous podcasts. Mm. And the history is kind of interesting because it's been moved around from place to place during wars and things. I think recently they were actually thinking about selling it because they were hard up on cash. There's a lot to be said about it, I think, from a religious perspective. Because that's really the point in uh, yeah. some, of the, some of the types of maps they used to draw. Yeah, a lot of the, despite the fact that they had very little technology back then, they weren't, funnily enough, aiming for accuracy. It was more just kind of trying to tell a story. And this is obvious when you look at a lot of these old maps. I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head roughly what is depicted on the map of Monday. But it's not just glaring emissions of, you know, continents that had or hadn't been discovered. It's There's no kind of logical order to how a lot of it's displayed when you see a lot of these maps. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I'm going to chuck a uh, picture of it in the notes if anybody wants to see it. But um, it's it's fucking weird. So it's the, the only motorway, the M50, if you want. I've got a Spurg on map. Go on then. <laughs> So there is, believe it or not, despite all the the rural links, the dusty lanes, a few B roads and a few A roads, there is a motorway that actually runs partway through some of Herefordshire. It's the M50. It was also originally known as the Road to Nowhere. <laughs> it does link parts of the, the West Midlands up towards Worcester and Birmingham through eventually to South Wales. Apparently it was the second motorway actually to be constructed Oh, really? It took them quite a long time, but they uh, they finished it eventually, I think, in the early 60s. And to be honest, hardly anyone still uses it today. No. I think there's been roadworks on one sector for about three years now. Sounds about right. It should probably be said as well, like, there's, there's, there's not that many amenities. You've got a handful of colleges, like the Blind College and the Arts College, some of them quite specialised, but no universities yeah. and no airport. So... Everybody has to resort to hot air balloons. Have you got any ghost stories? Ghost stories. Wow. We're going to listen back to spooky skeletons. Um, there are a few, I believe. And again, this is all kind of from written text and sort of word of mouth, secondhand from other people. So apart from the, that black dog of Hergis, you got the... Yeah, I don't know if that's, if that's like a cryptid or a... Yeah, like, apparently I mean, some people have seen it before. Yeah, it's more of an omen. Yeah. Than, it has like a supernatural element. I don't really know the difference, to be honest. Like, yeah. The thing with like cryptids, because I, I think cryptids are probably more common in rural areas. You're thinking like Bigfoot and Abominable Snowman. Yeah. They tend to like latch more towards these big expanses and the, the unknown. But mm. yeah, with the supernatural stuff, it tends to be more historical places with actual history and civilization. Yeah. There are a couple based on the city of Hereford where I think it's Gwyn Street where you go through, down from the cathedral, down a side road that links you back to the old bridge. There's a few houses down this little cobbled lane as well. And apparently people have seen, it's the old classic, people have seen people marching in 
old uniform or something like that, you know, not military uniform, but sort of almost like Romanesque. Okay. Sort of cavalry marching through the streets and things like that. Um, there's supposed to be a couple of sightings and some of the old pubs in Hereford haunting in the market house as well. Some of the hotels near Ross and Wye have some spectres and let's say poltergeists as well. There's supposed to be Harriet the Ghost, the pet, the old Pengathley house. I think my mum worked there for a couple of years and she used to sort of mess around with things in the cellar, like, you know, changing over the kegs. Might have been the barman, who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, it was definitely the barman. Yeah. It's weird how, like, you can scold some folk stories as, like, completely disingenuous. And just be like, yeah. oh, that's obviously not true. As if any of it is. But it's also, like, I don't know, some of them do feel a bit more real because you're, like, they're attached to certain places with a lot of history. And it, and it lends a lot more heritage and just, like, character to mm. a place. To, to hear some of these stories but then yeah. some of them you're like no that's stupid it's like why are any why are any of them like not stupid but it's, it's weird some of them because I'm a complete skeptic but like there are just some stories I think oh that's interesting and then other stories I hear and it's like no doesn't do it for me I, I, that's not true um, no. but it seems it seems like every pub's trying to get in on the novelty now like oh there's a ghost in the cellar anything oh. you know, something something goes slightly wrong and it's oh cellar's haunted it's like no it's just it, cellars just make a lot of noise and the you know, things go missing in cellars. and There's alcohol involved in this building. Like, it's probably something to do with that, mate. Yeah. We've mentioned Goodrich Castle earlier. Apparently, now there are the ghosts of a young couple, some young lovers who had to escape. So this would have been a few hundred years ago when it was the, the war, parliamentarians versus the royalists. Okay. Where two, I believe parliamentarian lovers had to run away from... Those are royalist lovers had to run away from the parliamentarians. I believe the Goodrich Castle was a royalist stronghold. Could be the other way around. No, I think you're right. It's royalist. And they ran down. They fled from the, from the battlements down to the river and then tragically both drowned together in, in the Y. And apparently you can hear someone... Some, it's either sometimes sobbing... Mm. or a couple crying for help. People can hear the splashing water, possibly when they're on their canoeing trip during the shallow waters of the summer, and they look around and they just can't see anything. They can hear the noise right next to them, but they, they see nothing at all. It's creepy as fuck, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Weird things like that. And there's um, not too far up the road, because you know, you know Hom Green, around the other side to the back of Ross. As you're going to Walford, there's, there's a sighting of a, Gentlemen, I think it's 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 an annual thing. It's one of those sort of recordings and replays every every year in mid-April. Something like that. This guy just appears in the middle of the road, and as you drive towards him, he just completely disappears. And it's it's supposed to be an annual sighting. That's obviously a bloke getting his shopping. There's there's not too much. I know I know I know Heveridge is quite you know a, a small county. It's sparsely populated as well. There's a lot of uh, history and age to it. The power of suggestion would make you believe there'd be loads of ghost stories but there aren't too many you sort of like dig up the old archives you you only really find a few for Ross a few for Hereford couple rural and, and that's it to be honest yeah well I, I think it probably has to do with like the lack of places and people mm. really um, there's not that much diversity of different kinds of buildings and things I, you didn't mention was actually the, the the old friar used to haunt the Hereford Cathedral Okay. Uh, allegedly, allegedly, still does. Um, you can just see him wandering around, wailing in old clothes. 
Okay. Um, that's a, that's the thing, apparently. The old friar, was he... How 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 far do we have to go back for friars? Are we talking four or five hundred years or more? At least the time of Friar Tuck. The Friar uh, Tuck. So we're talking nearly a thousand years ago. Twelfth or thirteenth century. I would say it would be somewhere between five hundred to a thousand years ago. Okay. The Friar of Yerriford. So he's still knocking around if you want to chat. Yeah. Not sure if you get much out of him if he's just wailing. <laughs> Anything else? Or no, I just got in. I got in some sort of like the human geographical bits. Do you know what the um, largest ethnic group is? Oh, uh, is in minority or yeah, largest largest minority ethnic group. Would it be defined as a travellers? Yes, crusty jugglers. I think they're called. Okay, <laughs> no, that's that was satire. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that because I'm uh, an eighth gypsy, Romani oh, gypsy. Right. I didn't know that, mate. I think I am, anyway. Okay. Not fair. Who knows? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm guessing the the population in terms I think it's of probably, white Caucasian European would be something really into the high 90s, like 97, 98%. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's in the 90s. But uh, I think um, in the last sort of five, ten years, it's largely uh, Eastern European is is like one of the big ones as well. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of Americans around. It's weird, no, like considering it was the birthplace of tourism, you don't actually see that many tourists, really, compared to someone like Stratford upon Avon. And that's no, yeah, yeah, maybe because there's not that much to do. But I mean, I I think there is, but you know, maybe to the average tourist, there isn't. Even even like smaller towns, so, yeah, think about Ross and Hereford. Like they they've got um they got nightclubs. They've got uh you know they have nightlife. They have bars. They have there are like boat trips you can take. I don't know yeah. what people really do on those sorts of holidays. Sorry. Those are cafes and restaurants. Yeah, and outside of the big city, though, it's hard to it's hard to find more cosmos sort of metropolitan areas. Really, generally, I guess the more the more of a population you have concentrated in a certain area, you're more likely to find people of different cultures and backgrounds. Whereas when you start to travel outside. Of certain areas, you, you see less of that, and therefore, really, that's why you only tend to sort of stay and visit these areas. But mm. even though, I guess, because because it's so obscure, when people come to this country, I mean, if I was to randomly visit, I don't know, um, anywhere, Tanzania in Africa, yeah, or let's say in in Europe, Estonia, perhaps. Um, why in okay, Tanzania? Yeah. I'd go somewhere kind of you know maybe safari based in Estonia. I'd probably go to Tallinn. Because that's the capital, I wouldn't tend. That's the two most random places you could have picked, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> just completely different sort of places on other sides of the world. But you see, you see what I mean? You normally go to where you would perceive there to be people who more like to speak, you know, similar language, yeah, at least yeah. be able to translate what you're saying. And you kind of you there's there's safety in it. You know where you're going, effectively. Speaking of safety, um, Herefordshire is a very safe Tory. Hotbed. It's like it's like. I was going to say what? safe and low on crime rate, but no, no. but it, which it probably is, it I probably, guess. Yeah, for, yeah. For, apart from probably, there's a lot of thieves around, but in terms of stabbings and shootings, I think it's quite low. There's probably some statistics yeah. to back me up on that, but yeah, it's 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 a very heavily, it's a blue it's a blue county. Mm. Um, Always has been. I think a lot of people do vote for the Conservative Party there. 
well, out of, out of all the sort of the the three, the the big three sort of parties, if you if you vote for Labour, um, you're probably not going to stand a good chance. You you probably better off voting for the Liberal Democrats rather than Labour in Herefordshire. Cider, Hereford Cattle, those are the two main things. Next, we talk about some of the more sort of couple more of the big industries. I might say, should I say a couple of other things about cider and the Hereford Cattle as well? I've got a couple of things. Yeah, go on. So we did loosely mention a lot of the the main industry in the county, which is, of course, unsurprisingly agricultural. So a lot of the livestock farming, a lot of the cider. So we know that nearly two thirds of all the cider now in the country comes from this county. But also the Hereford cattle itself, farmed as beef cattle and a very docile breed as well, is seen all across the world today. And I think there's about there's supposed to be about five million Hereford cattle across about fifty different countries oh, really? today as well. Also features on the county flag. There, there's loads of revised versions of it. But oh, don't get me started was... on the flag, mate. <laughs> this flag. I don't know. Right, if anyone listens to um, Hello Internet the podcast, they always talk about flags and they, they'll bring up some of the most awful flags in the world and they often talk, like, talk about flag referendums and things. Yeah. And so Herefordshire obviously escaped their radar, to my knowledge, because why would they talk about it? Because it's the tiniest place in the world and no one's ever even heard of it, even though they should, because it's a good place. But we recently had this competition and like, to be honest, most people in Herefordshire didn't even know about this referendum for the flag. Um, the, the, the designs... I don't know what was wrong with the informal one because I don't think it ever had a flag officially. It just had mm. one that was widely adopted. Yeah. And then, so they were like, okay, which should be the official flag? This or this or this? And like, I seem to remember like all the options just being terrible. Is it the one with literally the bull across the ford of the river? Or was that the previous incarnation? So the one with the, the bull in the river, that one won. And okay. I think that was fine. Yeah. But then all the other options are absolutely terrible. They depict. Let's have a look. I'll link this in the, oh my. In the notes. So you got the one with the apples. I, I think that looks pretty bad. I mean, you got the crux of it, but that, I just do not get that one yeah, at all. Yeah, so we're looking at B now. That is fucking... It looks like an apple in prison. It looks like an apple in a game of noughts and crosses. <laughs> For no reason. Like, why Why noughts and crosses? The bars across, Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, the new one. The new one's fine. I, I I think that was. I like it because it's it's fine mixture. If it gets the elements of the county, it's got the Hereford ball, but it's a lot more. It's a lot more subtle and less comic. Yeah, I think I think the there others. was originally a, a a competition, and this one wasn't in it. Uh, so I think this this was introduced after people complained. I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not entirely it was, sure. It was the protest. D looks awful. I think that's supposed to be. It's either some hops or an upside down strawberry or a pine cone or a pine cone. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. I don't really like E either. It's I just, mean, it's all cider, isn't it? It's just a few apples. I guess that's supposed to be a dip in a valley. Yeah. The orange bits, the hazy sunset, and then the green bits, the va- well. I think it's like it's like hay and grass and and the ripening of hay or something. It's poor. It just because because it, it's all just green and yellow. It just looks like the Norwich like a Norwich Union advert, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of human geography. 10% of people in Herefordshire cannot or are not working. So it's a massive problem with like worklessness, mostly because of the like aging population, get a lot of care homes and stuff like that. Um, but the biggest em- employers that are there, uh, a lot of them are like public. So uh, the council and uh, 
NHS. A couple of other big employees as well, as well as some of these independent cider makers and conglomerates. A lot of uh, cattle farms as well. You've also got the, the meats factory in Hereford. Used to be, let's get this right now, most people still know it as Sun Valley. Then it became Cargill meets Europe. And now I believe it's called Avara or something like that. Either way, it's gone through several name changes, but that's I think that's the this that's the biggest employer in the county. Oh, fair enough. But also you've got special metals Wigan as well. Again, on the sort of northern, slightly industrial side. Uh parts of the Bulmers factory are still in Hereford. So this tends to be more in the kind of Broomy Hill, Westfields, sort of north and west of the city. And uh yeah, there's a lot of big industry going on. And unsurprisingly, it's all themed around animals, animal products, or apples and pears, effectively. Well, I think that, especially the, the population, it is actually expanding at a very rapid, alarmingly rapid rate. Mm. It'd be interesting to see the, well, the, the population now, because a lot of these censuses, they, they're only updated every decade. Yeah, so well, I used to look at kind of the old 2001, then it became the 2011, and I'm guessing we're probably do you want next year? Yeah, well, so between uh, 1991 and 2011, the population went up by 14.4%, which when you consider how few people yeah, there are... That's, yeah, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's a lot. And that's that's another couple of villages, isn't it? Mm. Of, of people and more. That's yeah. uh, like, that's, so, like, the major towns are always having extensions. I mean, it's the same everywhere. But I, it does strike me as a little bit Kind of, well, you know, why can't we just build it up? Because we're building into these into these uh, hedgerows and things. And uh, one of my one of my fondest memories is during that foot and mouth thing that I mentioned. Yeah, um, forests and the woods were empty, so we would go up walking because nobody wanted to go out walking, and everything was overgrown. It'd been reclaimed by nature. Yeah, and uh, I always grew up watching like Disney films and seeing romanticized old. English pictures of the woodland and the creatures that you'd see just never really saw anything that felt like that did yeah uh, that kind of depiction and obviously that's because it's it's romanticized but one walk went up to one of the fields at the top of the hill and looking through the undergrowth we saw a vixen playing with like six cubs yeah and that's just like one of my best memories we stayed there for like 10 minutes just watching all this unfold and on the same day we saw like a couple of deer as well yeah um just run off into the into the bushes um you know and I, i've seen black deer up there as well and my granddad actually saw white deer wow relatively near the border of herefordshire actually on the, the edge of the forest of dean and um <laughs> fucking a week later found out that it, it had been shot and <sighs> yeah mounted on someone's wall boy. But yeah, I think we're losing, just, uh, I guess I'm kind of making an environmental point, I guess, but I think we are losing a lot of valuable land. And I don't think that people know that it is necessarily valuable because people think, well, it's just it's just an extra couple of meters into that field. Mm. But there are a lot of, sort of semi-urban animals that rely on these areas. Uh, and of course, Herefordshire being quite rural anyway, if, you, if you're in like Leominster and you just build a bit, more on the outskirts. Lemner. Lemner. <laughs> you end up, I've got to be careful with my auntie. used to live in Lemster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, you, but you end up just just taking a bit of the field out and and the scrub. The scrub's mm-hmm. really important as well for like smaller animals. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like I've seen less and less nature around Herefordshire in the last 10 years. And the, the drop has been so dramatic. And it's also yeah. been as all these new housing estates being built. And it's a bit of a shame. Could that be also because not only spending less time in Herefordshire based on where you're situated these days, that so you maybe don't take as many walks through there? I'm pretty sure that's probably still the case. You probably uh, are seeing less of a football of the fauna. No, I, I, I've just seen I've seen less and less, and I, I think the like the, the overly intense management of that forest, yeah, uh, as a, as more of a crop than uh, a habitat has, mm-hmm. has been adding to that as well. Um, used to see quite a lot of boar and stuff, yeah, and I I just think everywhere's just too loud now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You just go up there and it's still kind of noisy. You can hear shit everywhere and it's just that. Ah. It, yeah, the actual, the idea of wilderness is, is obviously a bit of a fallacy anyway because no no area is is not indirectly affected, at least, no. by man. I guess even though I kind of cross-examined you on that point, I, I did almost empirically notice myself that during the early stages of lockdown, and I mean we're talking mid-March throughout April, where pretty much nearly everyone was completely grounded. Mm. People that really had to leave their homes were doing so, where a car that would... Normally, the the frequency of cars going by my house every 30 seconds, it became one every 20 minutes. And I did notice that in a lot of the the woodlands around me, I did see evidence of... Well, physically, I did see more animals, more deer, for example. I could hear more birds, for, well, but possibly I was probably hearing more birds because my attention was drawn to it because they, the sound wasn't drowned out by the vehicles, possibly. But I did see sort of trails and more footprints of animals on paths that I'd walked previously quite frequently, but just hadn't seen those footprints quite mm. as often. So, no, there probably could be something quite a lot in that, particularly with, like you mentioned, with the, with the foot and mouth in, was it 2001? Yeah. yeah uh, probably uh, the, the, the last time we saw it, something vaguely similar to what we've experienced in the last few months. Well, it's one of the reasons why I I have this sort of fascination with not so much, like we're saying, cryptids, but people people's fascination with cryptids. Mm. I have a fascination in the fascination because I just find it so bizarre because it's, it's a type of like unnecessary escapism yeah. that hyper-realizes nature to such a degree that's... Just, like I mean, there are more interesting animals out there in reality, and they're more interesting because they're real. But they're also more interesting just because they just are. Have you ever seen like the ocean floor, or even mm. just some of the animals we have around Britain that people don't realise are there? Yeah, and it's it's just more interesting than a made up man, bear, pig that lives in Wormlow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know what I mean. It, it, yeah, like we, we have loads of creatures that are just far more interesting and more important to preserve yeah and it's like it's also this idea that if bigfoot was discovered it would suddenly become the most boring thing ever within weeks like if, yeah. if we just found him it's like oh there he is he'd be in a lab and we'd we'd understand every aspect of his anatomy within seconds we'd have all the facts there's no fascination anymore it's the mystery yeah. that kind of drives us to persevere and plug on it's it's the sheer curiosity of it exactly any any he just it'd be a bit of dermy in the natural history museum and that'd be the end of him a bit so, dermy suddenly the big myth i love dermy mate i love taxidermy well I, I, a bit 
iffy about how it's sourced, but I do. You know. <laughs> how it's sourced. Well, you know, it's like... A bit... You looked in the animal's eyes <laughs> and you shot him in the face. Well, not, not in the face because cause that would... you got to keep the face. ...reduce the structural integrity of the face. But I, I, I think there's some, something so striking about taxidermy. You can see, like, all these old animals that... Mm. So, some of which are extinct now. Pine martin... Oh, no, they're still pine martins. No, he's, that's the thing. Like, you've got pine martins, stoats, weasels... Uh, Otters and shit. You've got like, all these things in the Britain and people don't fucking know that they exist. They've just had beavers reintroduced mm. and that's really cool. Yeah. But it's a bit like what Boudrillard says. Boudrillard is talking about uncontacted tribes. The moment you contact them, because people are obsessed with studying them, you contact them and suddenly they're not an uncontacted tribe. So you've destroyed the very thing you're fascinated with. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just this weird paradox a little bit like you get a kid and they squeeze a rabbit too hard it's like you can't have your cake and eat it like you just you just mm. can't and people searching for bigfoot it's like you've got more interesting animals to be looking for you don't have to search for made up ones exactly and the moment the moment you if if let's say on the the very off chance that it's you know t- we're talking about like an un- unidentified animal it's just an animal and you're going to be disappointed when you find it because it's so it, doesn't, it doesn't react in an animated Disney style yeah. way. It probably is just going to eat something, sniff, and then shit on the floor in front of you. Yeah, no romanticism there. Yeah, you just you just destroy something's essence by. It's, it's all about the mystery, and I think it's just a fantastical romanticization of something that isn't there because you're so unhappy with what is, or so ignorant to what is there. I think that's the real issue with cryptids for me yeah we, we love mystery but not the result you know no. the consequences of, of a of finding something we, it's it's the it's the search and not the actually finding it if you find it it's boring because it's a, then it's just an animal yeah yeah I'm sure we've missed loads of stuff out um, feel free to correct us or let us know if you have any interesting facts or places to do with Herefordshire and we might bring it up if we talk about Herefordshire again but yeah I think we'll leave it there. Fair one. So, yeah. Drink cider. Go out for walks in nature. Watch out for uh, the big dog. Yeah. Or the bear. And give this video a big like. the, the, The crow. Yeah, watch out for that fucking talking giant crow. You'll have your head off. And your eyes. I'll let, I'll let you get your cider first. Cheers, Ed. <laughs> it's a fable. <laughs>